Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report Podcast. I am Michael Hunter, also known as at Pico36 on Twitter, and runner and operator of ACCBasketballReport.com. Wanted to uh, jump on this morning. I uh, got a lot of good stuff for you. We'll do the re- weekly review, the stock watch, the injury report, a huge injury suffered yesterday. Also, we'll obviously be talking about Zion Williamson and his commitment last night. Uh, first thing I want to do is uh, encourage you guys to like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, if you want to support the podcast, you can jump on uh, accbasketballreport.com. Click on the link to the podcast. It'll take you to the Podbean website where I host from, and you'll able to click on the link that says Be a Patron. If you want to support the show monetarily, it does cost me money to actually produce this show. Uh, you know, I, I figure one dollar per person per month is enough to support this show until I'm able to uh, lock down some sponsors, which I'm actively trying to do as well. Uh, I enjoy doing this show, but it does cost me some money out of pocket um, in order to keep bringing it to you. Um, any help, any uh, assistance would be encouraged and definitely appreciated. Uh, let's jump right into the weekly review. <clears throat> it was uh, kind of another tame week. Uh, as far as the rankings go, my rankings from last Friday held, uh, which I spoke about in the updated rankings this past Friday. Um, we only had, between Sunday and Friday, <clears throat> we only had one game where my rankings didn't hold, and that was Florida State losing in uh, at Boston College. So let's real quick, let's go uh, last Sunday, NC State went to Virginia in a game that uh, had had some had some interesting uh, storylines. Um, that was a game where Mark L. Johnson um, returned for the Wolfpack after his uh, his charges in Ohio were dropped. UVA actually came out victorious as we pretty much anticipated, 68-51. Uh, big keys for Virginia: they go eight of fourteen from deep, they go fourteen of sixteen from the line. Uh, as far as NC State goes. 2 of 16 from 3. They were never actually able to uh, speed up the tempo, which is something they want to do. Uh, part of Kevin Keats' defense is put on that press and uh, bring the tempo up. In Johnson's first game back, not overly effective. Um, again, NC State 2 of 16 from 3. They only attempted 5 free throws on the night. NC uh, UVA wins 68-51, 17-point margin of victory. At John Paul Jones, it's not something that I'm going to, to hammer NC State on. Um, you know, Devin Hall was unconscious in this game. Him and Kyle Guy combined for 42 points. When they do that, when they shoot well, and they shoot well from the line, and they get that defense rolling, which they did all week. Um, they did it later in the week to Georgia Tech as well. Um, there's not much you're going to be able to do against Virginia. Moving on to Monday night, uh, Duke went down to Miami. And maybe the team that I expected to show up for Miami all season finally did, or so I thought. Through the first 30 minutes, uh, 11:33 left to go in the game. Miami is up by 13. Uh, Duke outscores them by 21 the rest of the way. So Duke clamps down on defense when they have to. Finally, Miami goes into the shitter again on offense. Um, and I think, I think it was 37 to 16 the rest of the way, something of that nature. Um, the rest of the way in the game, Gary Trent has 30 points. Lonnie Walker. Uh, you know, gearing up for his uh, his jump to the pros, had another 19-point game, uh, looking more and more like an NBA player every day. Um, <clears throat> but uh, this just—it's it, the Duke offense can come alive whenever they want. You know, it's a light switch kind of kind of deal for them. Miami 
continues to be maybe the most frustrating team in the ACC as far as talent, you know, on paper and product on the court. Uh, it's just not something that I anticipated coming into the season. Um, some people actually had Miami winning the ACC in the preseason, and that's just not the case, uh, not, what, not with what we're seeing so far this year. Uh, Clemson on Tuesday night travels to UNC, drops to 0-58 and all-time in the Dean Dome, falling to the Tar Heels, 87-79. First half, Clemson basically looks scared. <coughs> <coughs> I apologize, I'm a little sick today. Um, you know, basically looked a little hesitant. Um, Dante Grantham was pressing, I thought. Uh, did not play well. Looked like he was trying to make the big play instead of making the plays that he's been making all season. Kenny Williams, Cam Johnson shut the lights out in the first half. They put uh, Clemson down by, I believe, 15 at the half. Uh, Gabe DeVoe basically kept Clemson in it early on. He had eight straight points for them in, in early in the first half to keep them keep them going. But then they surrendered a 13-0 uh, UNC run that stretched it out. Clemson did make it a game in the second half, uh, hanging 50 on the Tar Heels, which is probably a concern for Roy Williams. But... Um, Ultimately, Clemson does what they do in Chapel Hill and uh, collects another double, uh, another hell. Same day, Tuesday night, Louisville goes up to uh, South Bend and takes two two overtimes to get a win over uh, over Notre Dame. Matt Farrell did return in this game, had 25 points, but he only shot 8 of 25. Biggest note from this game is DJ Harvey, uh, the freshman, five-star freshman from Notre Dame, was lost after seven minutes into the game to a bone bruise in his knee. He's expected to be out for a month. Um, he had done, had played fairly well in Bonzi Colson's absence, uh, not as well lately, fairly inconsistent. I'll talk about that more on the, uh, the injury report. Uh, in the game, Raymond Spaulding, eighth double-double of the season, slowly and surely becoming the star that we all kind of anticipated in the preseason. Uh, Martin Gebbin continued to up his standard of play in the absence of Colson, 22-17 uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, not a whole lot to say in this game. Notre Dame continues to, to fight, although not win, uh, in the absence of their All-American, whereas Louisville is now looking like they have put it all together. They're looking like they're rolling a little bit. Um, I believe I have them at number four in my power rankings this week. Uh, four and one in the conference, sitting comfortably in second place with a pretty easy schedule coming up moving forward. So uh, I'll keep an eye on the Cardinals. They were a team I was selling a few weeks ago, and now... With what they've been able to do lately, they're looking like a team that can really, really get after it and a team that's that's headed to the tournament. Uh, Syracuse hosted Pittsburgh on Tuesday night, came out a winner 59-45. Parker Stewart actually hit seven triples for Pittsburgh. Um, he was a kid that I thought preseason might possibly lead the Panthers in scoring. Uh, Jared Wilson frame has other ideas on that. But uh, Syracuse only turns the ball over nine times. They hold Pitt to 35% shooting. Pitt has yet to score 68 points or more in any ACC game so far this year. They are severely offensively challenged. Uh, losing Ryan Luther is obviously a big blow to them, but they weren't very fucking good before he got hurt anyway. Uh, this is just another product of Kevin Stallings being a terrible, terrible hire. Moving on to Thursday night, uh, Virginia finally gets out of the state of Virginia to play a true road game in Atlanta. Um, they... You know, the score, the spread was 16, UVA wins 64-48, GTEC has more turnovers and field goals, no starters and double figures, UVA shoots 47% and only turns the ball over seven times, and they forced 10 live ball turnovers. This game was not as close as the 16-point spread would indicate, 
Uh, it felt like a 30-point game all night. Um, every time GTEC would get close, uh, an opportunity to cut the single digits, they would either turn the ball over, uh, give a charge, just do something foolish, throw the ball out of bounds. There was two two instances early on where Alvarado just threw the ball directly to a, a Virginia defender. Ben Lammers at one point goes to the free throw line. He's a 75-80% free throw shooter, and uh, he goes 0 for 2 at the line. That was a strong indicator of things that were going to come. G-Tech just can't score the ball. And at this point, UVA, surprisingly enough, is very efficient in scoring the ball. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is turning into a star right before our eyes. He gets into that uh, that foul line area in any type of against any type of zone. We saw him do it against Syracuse earlier. Um, he's just you know he's a killer, and uh, he's either going to the rim, and if you back off him, he's going to hit that jumper. He's going to be the next guy for UVA. If Kyle Guy leaves for any reason, turns pro, uh, transfers, whatever. DeAndre Hunter is going to be the next star of this program. Uh, same night, Thursday night, NC State hosts Wake Forest. And again, the NC State really had to win in order to prove that they are for real, I thought. Um, you know, these games that you're supposed to win are the games that you need to win in order to prove that you are for real. And they didn't look good in the first half. They were down by five at the half, I believe, 35 to 30. Um, Second half, they come alive, and that defense really comes alive. They hold Wake Forest 25 second-half points. Brian Crawford goes 2 of 13 from the field. Um, Garrett Seven with 22 and 8. He's looking like a pro more and more every day. Uh, Darrell Moore did have a double-double for Wake Forest. One of the things that I did take away from this game, uh, re-watching it, Al Freeman only played 17 minutes. Um, he went 0 for 5 in the previous game, in the uh, in the Virginia game, and then in this, in this game, he only plays 17 minutes. Uh, he's been on a real rough stretch lately. It'll be uh, interesting to see what happens today. They play this afternoon. I'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm really interested in uh, in Al Freeman's, uh, I guess, involvement with the offense. Um, now that Markel Johnson's back, like I said, Freeman has not played well. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Freeman played above his head early in the season. I beat it to death. I'm not going to go into it any further. Uh, moving into yesterday's games, GTEC goes to Chapel Hill, gets their ass kicked. Uh, again, GTEC can't score or shoot the ball. They don't get easy looks. Everything they do seems to be difficult. Um, again, they get close, make a stupid mistake. UCLA, ah, jeez, UCLA. UNC comes down, hits a clutch three. Luke May with another double double. Josh Kogan did have 18 and seven. UNC had 19 offensive rebounds. Georgia Tech only had 25 total rebounds on the day. Uh, G-Tech uh, shoots six free throws. UNC shoots 24. Uh, TV Teddy on the call last night. Um, you know, just doing what he does, being a fucking jerk off. Uh, moving on to some other games. Florida State goes into Virginia Tech, wins 91-82 in a game that really both teams had to have. Uh, FSU getting this win on the road says something about them. It also says something about Virginia Tech and what we can expect from them moving forward. Virginia Tech has yet to get any sort of quality win. They've had missed opportunity after missed opportunity. MJ Walker's coming out party. He had 24. Justin Robinson had 26 for Virginia Tech. And I just want to talk about Justin Robinson a little bit. I, I tweeted it out yesterday while I was watching the game. Apart from Marquise Reed for Clemson, Justin Robinson may be the best player in the conference that nobody talks about. He is, you know, he's this to steal a phrase from whoever said it, the straw that stirs the drink for Virginia Tech. They've got a lot of guys that seem to stand around and shoot threes while Justin Robinson actually looks like he's out there playing basketball. Um, 
Again, Virginia Tech lives and dies by the three. Yesterday they hit ten triples, and at no point in the game did they ever really look like they was going to win the game. Um, they continue to be, I believe, the third third worst perimeter defensive team in the conference, and that showed yesterday. Uh, C.J. Walker hitting threes, Phil Kofer hitting threes, M.J. Walker hitting threes, Caben uh, uh, Gale hitting threes. I'm sorry if I fucked his name up. It was not my intention. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech gets nothing going to the hoop, and if Florida State is going to get, you know, three, four, five guys that are all playing well on any night, and they're going to put up 91 points. There's not a whole lot of teams in the conference that are going to beat them. I'm going to have to reevaluate where I stand with, with Florida State. Uh, they looked good yesterday. I've seen them look bad, you know, previously. This, is, this game might also be a product of the fact that Kerry Blackshear had his fourth foul, 16 minutes left to go in the, in the second half. And uh, he fouled out with eight, ten minutes left in the game, I believe. Um, and after him, Virginia Tech has nobody over six six that's going to play any regular minutes. They have zero depth in the front court. If they don't hit fifteen threes against the team that's that's really stroking it on the other end, you know they don't really have a whole lot of chance to win the game. Last night, uh, Notre Dame traveled to Clemson. Clemson wins sixty seven fifty eight. First time Clemson has beaten Notre Dame since the Irish joined the ACC. Uh, Amir Sims. Not a not a huge game, but uh, did did come into the game late due to an injury. I'll get into that in a second. Um, hit a big three and then had a huge block in the final 30 seconds. Sheldon Mitchell goes to the free throw line, seals it up. You know, good win for Clemson uh, after uh, falling to UNC in Chapel Hill. This is a game they should have won. They did win. They continue to win the games that they need to, and every once in a while getting a win that maybe surprises some. I think some people are surprised by the Florida win. I wasn't. Um, but they did suffer a huge injury yesterday and then obviously they got some disappointing news last night which I'll get into in a second as well. Uh, wrapping up yesterday's slate, Duke coasted Pittsburgh. You know, uh, they win by 27-81-54. Pittsburgh again fails to go over 68 points on the night. Uh, Wendell Carter 21-8-3. Pitt's just a terrible offensive team. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. Duke continues to be the most talented team in the conference. Um, I don't think this uh, surrendering of only 54 points to Pittsburgh is anything you can say, hey, their defense has returned. Um, I don't think that's the case. Pittsburgh's pretty pretty terrible. Um, you know, Duke, the, the Virginia game is going to be the litmus, you know, the litmus stick. For, for Duke moving forward. We're going to see what they can do with the Cavaliers, and then we'll be able to draw a better conclusion, I think, of that. Um, that's it for the weekly review. There's a pretty good slate today, which I'll get into at the end of the show. Uh, do a little bit of a preview. I don't think I'll put anything up on the site today. One thing I do want to get into this morning is obviously the news of the Zion Williamson commitment from last night. I actually had this drawn up. I was almost certain that he was going to Clemson just based on what I talked about last week, the Evan Daniels, um, the Evan Daniels pick and and some other stuff. I, I, I thought that I thought that's where he was going. You know, the hometown kid makes good. Um, unfortunately I uh, I underestimated uh, Jeff Capel's uh, abilities to recruit. Wink wink nudge nudge. Um, Duke now has the top three seniors in the country going to Durham next year. Which hey, Durham's forty minutes down the road you, you get close to campus, Durham's a pretty nice place. I, I don't know why all these kids want to go to Durham. I mean, Coach K is a huge draw, I think. Obviously, he has a, a lot of cachet. That sounds dumb, but on the recruiting trail, 
I'm not going to say Jeff Capel is shady. I would never say that Jeff Capel is shady. I would never say that Jeff Capel drops bags with any kind of regularity. But you guys all remember how we started the season. There were some programs that were that were had their fingers had fingers pointed at them that we never saw. That we never that we never saw coming. We never anticipated that that there might be shady stuff going on in Miami, for instance. You know, Jim Laranega, he looks like your grandfather. He's a nice old guy, right? He doesn't cheat. Well, there's some some things out there that need to be pursued. You know, Andy Enfield at USC is somebody that you may you may have thought, but at the same time, Andy Enfield was a highly respected coach from everybody I've talked to. I mean, nobody ever said that he he was that kind of that kind of recruiter. I'm just saying that a lot of people have suspected Jeff Capel for dropping bags for a long time. And coming into the night, Jeff Borzello says on ESPN last night that he would have put Duke number five in the pecking order going after Zion Williamson. And then all of a sudden this kid's going for going to Duke, going to Durham. Um, <laughs> if you're not asking yourself questions, you're not being honest with yourself. Even if you're a Duke fan, you've got to wonder how they keep pulling this off time after time. Coach K is a great coach. He's the greatest coach, greatest college coach in the history. He's the greatest coach I've ever seen as far as wins, losses, some of the things he comes up with. Um, but he's not that good of a fucking coach. I mean, he nobody's this good without doing some shady shit. What that, what that stuff might be, who knows? Maybe he is clean. You know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But as a fan of another program in the conference, you can't you can't look at and we weren't even uh, G Tech wasn't even in on on Zion Williamson. But you can't look at look at what was going on. Look at the, how that recruitment went, and then all of a sudden he's going to a uh, program that nobody ever really associated with him. And uh, you can't look at that and and ask yourself why? How did that happen? Who, what, when, where, why. Um, it's just, it's weird. Uh, you know, Clemson, they, they had the spot for him. He would have stepped in. He would have been their starter. You know, he would have been their star on the front court. Um, I had a whole thing drawn up around about Clemson's roster next year, their recruiting class and everything. And I actually had to, to scrap that. Uh, obviously, he's going to slide right into Duke starting five as well. They now have probably Williamson at the four, I would imagine. Uh, Barrett and Reddish on the on the wings and Trey Jones at the point, which is a fucking stupid lineup. I mean, especially if, if a guy like Wendell Carter stays, which I don't think he's going to. Uh, Marcus Bolden and Javin Delorier are probably going to be your options at the five, which still both those guys are, are supremely talented. Duke is going to be a top five team again next year. It, it, it's a crazy development. It's one I did not see coming. I thought if he did not go to Clemson, he was going to Kansas. I actually had Kansas as his likely destination with uh, Quentin Grimes and, and Dotson uh, earlier this year. I thought that was a big three that was going to come together. Instead, it's the biggest three possible for the 2018 class. And, uh, you know, and you throw Trey Jones in there, who is also, you know, ho-hum, a top 12 guy, top 10 guy. So it is what it is. The rich get richer. The rest of us suffer. But then again, Duke doesn't really do anything with them. They don't really make good pros or win championships. So... Anyway, one thing that uh, I've kind of been harping on all season is my theory that Miami is not very good, or I shouldn't say not very good. They're a good team. They're 14-4 and four right now. Um, they don't, they aren't as good as we thought they were. They aren't a world beater, 
They're a mid, mid-level mediocre ACC team. My theory has been that Bruce Brown and Lonnie Walker do not play well together. So what I did this week was I went down through some box scores and tried to crunch some numbers, and my findings were actually fairly interesting in, in that I couldn't really find anything. Couldn't really find a reason. Um, you know, my, my stance is they don't play well together. Miami is not as good as offensively as they should be. Uh, what I found was that Walker and Brown have only scored double figures in the same game twice. Neither have done it. And that hasn't happened, I should say, since December 2nd when they played Princeton. Two games all season, their two stars have scored in double figures at the same game. That in itself is, is crazy. And it, it speaks more to the, the season that each one of them having than anything. I think both of them have their good games and both of them have been disappointing at times. When Walker plays less than 20 minutes, Bruce Brown scores 17 points a game. He's averaging 11 points on the season. When, uh, when Brown missed the BU game, Walker scored 26 points, went 9 of 15 shooting. By far his best game of the season. What is that indicative of? I don't know. They're, at this point, they're just numbers. I think the sample size, some of these, some of these things I came up with are so small, you can't really draw a, a conclusion from them. Um, one thing that was interesting was that Miami is actually 3-1 and one when neither player scores in double figures. So, you know, once again... <laughs> It's uh, it, it's something that seems like it should be backwards. Um, Bruce Brown, when he's in double figures, Miami's eight and one. When Lonnie Walker's in double figures, they're four and two. So obviously there is some root of root to success when Bruce Brown scores in double figures. You know, a lot of those games came against not so great competition. Uh, when Walker scores double figures, Bruce Brown shoots thirty seven percent from the floor, which he's only shooting forty one percent. On the season, um, I'm sorry, 40% on the season. He shoots 41% when Walker uh, scores in single digits. So there is a 4% difference again, sample size and, and the result not so great. Uh, I think you can point the finger to Bruce Brown having a, a, a pretty poor season in his sophomore campaign. Typically, you would say the greatest the greatest uh, progression happens from freshman to sophomore season. Bruce Brown's shooting percentages are down across the board. He is averaging more rebounds, but he's averaging less points. I believe he's averaging more turnovers. That's not something I have down in front of me. Uh, one thing that I had not really gotten into or commented on much was the disappointing play of Jaquan Newton. Um, this is a kid that averaged 13.5 points last year playing out of position. He's also playing out of position again this year, but not as much with Chris Likes coming in as the freshman, which Chris Likes is more of an offensive point guard as well. He's not really a distributor. I've gone over this before. Uh, Newton, up until uh, the addition of Lonnie Walker, Jaquan Newton was the highest ranked player to ever commit to Miami, I believe. He was certainly the highest the highest ranked player to ever commit to Jim Laranega at Miami, but in the history of Miami basketball, I believe straight out of high school, Newton was the highest, uh, highly touted player to go to Miami. He's averaging eight and a half points this year. This kid is actually shooting 13% as a senior from three-point land. That's your senior guard, your your most highly ranked player for years, shooting 13% from three-point land. That ain't gonna get it done. You know, this kid shoots you know 34% the year before, I believe, something like that. If they're getting that from him. Their offense looks drastically better. If they have a point guard, such as, I don't know, Manu LeCompte, who's currently playing at Baylor, who transferred from Miami, this offense looks leaps and bounds better than what they look right now. Uh, right now, it uh, looks like Laranaga has put 
a lot of really good athletes, a lot of really good scorers on the court, but nobody to actually run the offense. You know, Dewan Hewell's been their most consistent player on the season. He doesn't handle the ball. He's getting rebounds. He's getting dunks. He's getting putbacks, offensive glass. You know, that's his game. He's not, you know, he's not initiating any kind of offense. That's supposed to be what Jaquan Newton and Chris Likes are doing. Chris Likes likes to come in here, shoot bad shots, take big threes. He's a scorer. He's a Dennis Johnson-type microwave, instant offense-type player. The other thing that I wanted to get into this week was I've always had a theory, and I noticed it more the last couple years, that the scheduling in the ACC is ridiculous. I'm seeing too many um, Thursday-Saturday games, Saturday-Monday games, uh, Sunday-Tuesday games. Now, these are especially, like, I, I noticed it this week when uh, GTAC Coastal Virginia on Thursday night, and they turn around and they travel to Chapel Hill for a Saturday game, uh, 2 o'clock tip-off. That ain't cool. You know, there was no games on Wednesday night this week. How come How come GTAC can't play on Wednesday? You know, the, I understand the young kids. They want to play ball. It's probably not hurting them. Um, it's not fatiguing them. I don't know. I don't believe. It could be leading to injuries. Um a lot of there's you know a lot of program. I see it more in last year's schedule than I do this year. Uh, I see a lot of uh, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, stuff like that, which I think is what it should be. I think Wednesday should be the heaviest slate of the week, and then you play a Saturday, Sunday game. I think that's 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 what the that's what the schedule should look like. So what I did was I went through last year's schedule, and I'm just doing ACC schedules. Uh, I went through the schedule for last year. I went through what we've done so far this year. Um, again, looking at Saturday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, stuff like that. We only have one day off in between games, basically. I found there was 32 instances in the last, you know, one point, you know, a season and a third, basically. Uh, in those instances, teams played in the first game are 17 and 15. Game two of, the, of each stretch, they're 16 and 16, which is a shock to me. I expected much more of a discrepancy. Um, and actually, this whole this whole breakdown led me to believe that I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe these kids don't really give a shit. Um, in game one, teams are averaging 74.7 points per game, and in game two, they're averaging 71.2 points per game. So a little bit of a drop there. Nothing to be too shocked about. A lot of that's matchup. You got you know heavy heavy differences in style of play in the ACC. You're gonna go from a team like Wake Forest on one night, say on Thursday night, you go to Wake Forest. You play a team that plays zero defense, and then on Saturday you go into Virginia, which plays you know all the offense in the world. They hold you to 45 points. See, it, it, it's not a perfect look. I wanted to take a look at it because it interested me. The only time, um, I'm sorry, only eight times did uh, any team win both games. Duke happens to have been a team that won three of those eight. So of the 32 instances, only eight times did teams go 2-0 at 25%. Duke, obviously usually has the most talent in the league um, going three three and one I believe was their was their record in those instances they had four four such uh, circumstances where they experienced uh, games two games and three nights what also shocked me was only Pittsburgh and Wake Forest had no examples in the past two seasons uh, apparently Kevin Stallings does know how to do something and that's not over schedule his team his you know he likes to get his boys some rest uh, Wake Forest <laughs> obviously isn't benefiting from it but they're doing it you know they're they're making sure a lot of Wednesday Saturday you know a lot of Wednesday Saturday repeating type stuff 
Um, again, I saw it a lot last year. I noticed it with G-Tech. I think G-Tech played three consecutive weeks last year where they played Sunday, Tuesday games. And that was down the stretch where they really struggled and they fell off the, uh, fell off the, uh, the bubble there towards the end of the season. Uh, looking at it so far this year, not a whole lot of examples. Coaches have caught on. Uh, need a lot more rest. You know, as we get into an age where diet, weight room, rest, these things are, are becoming more popular. I think you'll see a lot of this stuff disappear. I thought the, the numbers would be more profound as far as the difference between game one and game two. I was proven to be wrong. So two instances this week, I thought I'd find a big discrepancy in Miami's numbers get based on Walker and Brown's performance. I did not struck out there. I also thought I would find a big discrepancy in the scheduling numbers. I did not struck out there. So maybe I should just keep my fucking mouth shut from now on, stick to the stats, stick to the injury report and stick to the stock watch and we'll all live our lives. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm kind of a prick. I'm going to pursue some things that interest me. So we'll see what pans out and what doesn't. Uh, moving on to the free agent marketplace. Not a whole lot this week. Monday night, Jordan Tucker did uh, finally sure up his transfer. He's going to Butler from Duke. Again, four-star guy. I spoke about him last week. He has the skill set to be a Keelan Martin type player in that system. Um, I think that was the right place to go over Georgetown. I mean, I, I don't know Jordan Tucker from a hole in the wall. He could be a perfect fit for Georgetown, spotting up shooting threes. I think he'll have more success. Uh, he'll be able to experience a higher level of basketball at Butler than he would have at, at Georgetown. Uh, one guy <clears throat> that I want to talk about real quick in the free agent marketplace, uh, a potential free agent guy. Um, I, I don't really know what's going on with this kid. And again, I talk a lot about Georgia Tech because that's the program I'm closest with. But I see Justin Moore being a healthy scratch uh, lately in games. Um, you know, whether or not this is tied to anything that has to do with the LeBerry situation, I don't know. I don't believe so. But um, this is a kid that started 18 games for Tech as a freshman last year, and now he is not dressed in multiple games. Has not played since the 22nd of December. I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say. There's a potential for transfer here. I like Justin. Um, I think he represents Georgia Tech very well. Um, he is a, a young kid who who plays who was a host uh, to recruits. He was on social media. Uh, he's a, a big advocate of the Georgia Tech way. Um, I think he's a good backup. I think he needs some work. You know, his outside shot needs some work. His turnovers need some work. He has not played well so far this season in the games that he did appear in. Um, but is a potential for a transfer there. Um, we'll see what happens there. Fairly tame week for the free agency market. Uh, we'll see what happens with Justin. Um, if, if he feels like he can, he can play more and be a more impactful player um, somewhere else, then I've got to encourage what, what makes that young man happy. He's a San Diego native, so he's a long way away from home. Uh, recently had a death in the family, so that may have him rethinking his uh, his geography and his proximity to home. We'll see what happens there. On the injury report, uh, some UNC people were talking about Seventh Woods returning for UNC. He was at the game yesterday. He was in a suit. Um, he, he didn't dress for the game. It doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon. Haven't heard a whole lot about him. He's been out since early December, I believe. Uh, well. You know, he was a kid coming into the season when Joel Berry broke his hand. A lot of people thought that he might make strides and, and kind of realize his potential. That hasn't been the case. 
Uh, well, Barry only missed one game, I believe, and Seven Forts didn't play a whole lot, didn't play very well, and then he was injured shortly after that. Uh, two big injuries uh, in the conference, I thought. Uh, again, DJ Harvey's back to miss a month with a bone bruise. That was the main guy to fill in for Bonzi Colson in his absence. Uh, bone bruise in his knee. This is a kid that averaged... Well, let's see, about eight points and five boards in the five games since Notre Dame lost Colston. So he obviously wasn't as impactful as Bonzi. Few players are, but that's an All-American caliber player. That's not somebody you're going to easily replace. But he goes out there, he plays hard. He's a long, lanky kid. He can step outside, shoot the three. He can get rebounds. He can block shots. He's a talented kid. I mean, he's a former five-star recruit. I've been a little hard on him this season, mostly because I expected more when you have five stars next to your name. But he's a, he is a long-term player for Notre Dame that is going to give them talent. He's going to be good as a junior and a senior. As a senior, um, it's it's unfortunate, especially given Notre Dame's aspirations coming into the season, what they've experienced so far so far during the season. Um, obviously, trading Matt Farrell for DJ Harvey, you're still coming out ahead, but it's a question of depth. Um, Elijah Burns hasn't played a lot, hasn't given them a whole lot lately. I think with the trio of Gebbin, Gibbs, and Farrell, they can they can still stay in some games. They can still win some games. I don't think they're a tournament team any longer. I think Colson's going to be back before the ACC tournament or during the ACC tournament. I think when we get to that point, that's a situation where Notre Dame has to win that tournament to get to into the, the NCAA tournament. I think that's, that's where they're going, uh, including um, this week they've lost three in a row. Yesterday, they lost again, I believe, yeah, um, to Clemson. So, you know, now they're 3-4 they're and four in the ACC. They've got a pretty tough road coming up. It's, you know, it, it's, it's too bad, really. It, you know, it, to not see Mike Bray coach the NCAA tournament is going to be a bad thing. You know, that's, that's our loss, really, at the end of the day. Um, on to last night, which this is, this is the big one. Dante Grantham left the game last night against Notre Dame with a non-contact knee injury. Typically, you hear that in the NFL circles, and that's when everybody, you know, has to hug their friends or, or grab the person closest to them because that's the bad thing is when it's, when it's non-contact, when the guy just goes down in a pile, it's always bad news bears. Um, wasn't putting any weight on his leg. He was icing his knee uh, on the bench, but then he went to – the locker room after that. Barstool Clemson reports this morning that he has torn his ACL. Um, this is a kid that averaged 14, 7, and 2.5 a, a game. He was the most talented front court player Clemson has. He was a kid that made them go, hit a lot of big shots for them. I mean, they have they have senior guards, they have good good leadership in the backcourt. But as far as the front court depth goes, he's the most talented kid probably on that team. Uh, he's a kid that gets rebounds, block shots, plays a lot of energy. You know, he's a showtime dunker, and then he'll step out and drill a three. You know, he's, he's a, a prototypical stretch four type player. Whether or not Clemson can get their hands around the remainder of the season without him, I don't know. That's going to be difficult. Amir Sims is a kid I like long term. As far as him coming in and playing 25, 30 minutes a game, being productive and being efficient, I don't know if I see that for him yet. He came in yesterday, hit a big big three, had a big block, uh, had a lot to do with that win that they got yesterday. But I don't know if he's a kid that can go in there and play 30 minutes and give you what Grantham did. 
I mean, Grantham was pretty poor his first three years. He's really coming into his own this year. Looks like he might be an NBA-type player, you know, a, a reserve-type player, D3-type player. Um, th this is really too bad for a Clemson team that basically lost twice yesterday. Um, you know, they, they get the win against Notre Dame, but then they lose out on Zion, and they lose maybe their most talented player to a knee injury. Not a great weekend for Brad Brownell. Um, you know, that's too bad, because I like watching Grantham play. Clemson's a team I've watched a lot this year. Uh, that's about it for the injury report. I'll move on to the stock walk teams I'm selling, holding, buying. Team I'm selling this week, Virginia Tech. And it kind of pains me because I watched these guys a lot in the out-of-conference. They were really, really entertaining, uh, putting up triple digits in, in multiple games. But when it comes down to it, the Hokies so far this season in the ACC play, they can't defend their home court and they can't defend the three-point line. Um, you know, your in-state rival comes in and smacks you down. Uh, you drop another game to Florida State, and you don't look very good in either game doing it. Um, they've yet to get a signature win. I, I don't think there's a whole lot on the, uh, on the schedule left for them to solidify themselves as a tournament team. Um, right now they sit at 2-4. and four. I, I just, there's a lot of talent there on the wings. And even Kerry Blackshear in the post is super talented. They just got nobody behind them. I mean, Ahmed Hill is a really talented kid. The kid just sits outside the three-point line and shoots triples all night. You know, Justin Bibbs is a really talented kid, but he chooses to be a player where the offense dies. He doesn't play within the constraints of the offense. He wants to take over the game. And, you know, you see something yesterday at one point, he's 4 for 11 from the field. I mean, that you know, you see with Trey Young, you can score 20 points. But if it takes you 25 shots to do it, you're not really doing people any favors. Um, long misses are basically live ball turnovers. You know, when you're shooting long threes that are missing, that's basically a live ball turnover. Uh, you know, the schedule the rest of the way, they got Florida State and UNC at home. They go to South Bend and then at BC, which is, you know, BC. They've been good at home, uh, you know. Whatever you want to say about Boston College so far this season, they've been really good at home. Um, then they get Miami, NC State. They go to John Paul Jones. They go to Cameron. They go to McCamish. To finish up the season, they get Clemson, Louisville, Duke, and Miami. No easy games there. You know, they don't get the pit. You know, Notre Dame might be the easiest game, but they got to go to South Bend. They have Matt Farrell back. TJ Gibbs is playing outside of his goddamn mind this year. Martin Gebbin playing outside of his mind this year after a solid offseason with the Lithuanian national team. You know, BC, tough at home. G George Tech, tough at home. Clemson may have just gotten easier yesterday, but that's still going to be a race. You know, that's not a team that Virginia Tech's going to blow out of the water. They've still got talent. So right now I'm selling Virginia Tech. Not a believer in what they're doing. I think Buzz Williams is a hell of a coach. But again, a lot of this goes back to they lost high outlaw to a knee injury before the season, who was another solid perimeter guy. Uh, you know, he's not a, a big-time front-court post player. He's a, he's a three-point spot-up shooter. But, you know, that's talent. And then uh, the Kadeem Sai, you know, leaving for Tampa Community College. And then I don't know where he is now. He's not at Community College anymore from what, I, from what, I, what I've heard. But, uh, you know, so far... Virginia Tech has only beaten Pitt and Wake Forest in conference. That doesn't that doesn't give you a whole lot for me. You won't get a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of praise for me on that. Uh, moving on to who I'm holding. And this is a tentative hold. Uh, I'm holding on Louisville. I'm holding on two teams this week. Holding on Louisville. Holding on Florida State. Uh, 
I almost sold Florida State down the river, um, but they looked really good yesterday. I watched that game from tip to buzzer, and uh, they, they looked really good. A lot of that had to do with Virginia Tech's perimeter D, but uh, they look well-rounded. They've got size. They've got perimeter shooting. They've got defense. They've got a guy, in Kevin Gailey, who, you know, he plays four position, or three positions, and he just, you know, I believe he's a, he's a relative of Tim Duncan, I believe. But um, he just, man, he does a lot of things well. He's a hustle player. Last night, yesterday, he stepped up and hit some triples. Um, good rebounder, good defensive player. He's just a, a kid that I really like. I like seeing those three-star kids that are really under-recruited step in and, uh, and, and, just, and just play their hearts out. Uh, as far as Louisville goes, they start out 4-1. and one. They've got some really winnable games coming up. I just... Because seeing them early in the season, they just did not look like a tournament team to me. They look like a pretty solid interior defensive team. Uh, Quentin Snyder was pretty inconsistent. Ben Adele has been inconsistent all year as far as the shooting percentages, but he's also always in double figures, which, you know, give and take. Uh, if you want to see more, you know, go to the ACC Basketball Report. I talked a little bit about it in my power rankings this past Friday. Um, hold on them two teams. I think Louisville's a tournament team. I think Florida State's still a fringe tournament team. Um, I think... For the benefit of the conference, Florida State needs to get some wins. I think they'll be that ninth team in uh, if they can get some wins. I think right now, I think Virginia Tech's out, Georgia Tech's out. Those aren't tournament teams, I don't believe. I think right now the ACC's looking at eight. Um, we'll see what happens. Florida State could get in. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is done. I think Georgia Tech is done. Uh, as far as UNC <laughs> teams I'm buying, again, this week it's Carolina. Tar Heels look dominant at home against Georgia Tech looking comfortable with that stretch four. They're also looking comfortable yesterday with the two big style. Um, mostly because Sterling Manley looks like he's coming into his own a little bit. He played with a lot of fire yesterday. I thought he was really productive, really impactful in that game. Playing him with Luke May, um, they, they looked better than they have before they went to the stretch four. And now they're also looking comfortable playing that stretch four offense with Cam Johnson roaming around dragging big men out of the paint. You know, G-Tech's trying to play yesterday with Ben Lammers and A.D. Gay. Neither one of them guys is going to stick with, with Cam Johnson wherever he goes on the court. I had a conversation with, with a guy on Twitter yesterday. You know, how come G-Tech's not playing Moses Wright and Evan Cole? Which, if you don't know who those players are, they're freshmen. Um, they haven't been very good defensively. Um, and obviously, they haven't been very good in practice, according to Josh Pastner. Moses Wright is a kid that is talented, has a, a lot of upside, plays very well against, you know, NAIA schools and, and, and the right states of the world, which G-Tech also coincidentally lost to. But you put him on the court um, in Chapel Hill, matching up against Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson's going to eat that kid alive. And like I told the guy on Twitter yesterday, you know, spit his bones at our bench when he's running by after he just drilled the three in Moses' face. Not to say that Moses isn't a good player. I think he's going to be, but I think it will come as an upperclassman, junior, senior year. Long, lengthy, he's impactful, um, long term. But right now, UNC has the talent, and now their offense is really starting to pick up. Um, if they can develop one of those big men, which I thought up until this point it was going to be Garrison Brooks. Um, and in the preseason, I actually thought it was going to be Brandon Huffman. I thought Brandon Huffman going from a four to a three-star recruit was a mistake. I thought this, this kid had great long-term potential. He's kind of fallen to, the, to the, the end of the bench now, not getting a whole lot of minutes. I did not see a whole lot of Manley before the season, but now seeing him play the last few games, he's the most impactful freshman big they have. I think that, that 
that Roy's the most comfortable with him on the court. He looks ready to go lately. He's still a little thin, but he's he's learning what he does well. And he was a big impact on that game yesterday. Got some offensive rebounds, got some blocks, uh, a couple putbacks. He, he's a good long-term player for UNC. I, I still like Huffman long-term. I still like Brooks long-term. But Manley might be the best of the three, which is something I definitely did not see coming. All right, so today we have something uh, a little peculiar. Uh, we have a three-game slate, six, six teams in action today uh, on a Sunday. Typically it's one, maybe at the most two. But there's only a four-game slate on Saturday, which is weird. Uh, today we have Miami traveling to Raleigh. Miami is a one-point favorite. The game is on the ACC Network at noon. ACC Network typically going to be your either your local Raycom affiliate or it's going to be on the Watch ESPN app. Um, I typically watch all the games on the Watch ESPN app unless it's blacked up in my area, which it's typically not. Miami being a one-point favorite at Raleigh is a game I'm all over. I'll take NC State to cover that all day. Um, I think NC State wins outright. Um, as long as Miami's the favorite, I'm, I'm taking the points. Uh, Europe 7 has been playing out of his damn mind. Uh, Miami is a great defensive team, but I think NC State at home, where they're 11-12-1, is, is really good. I mean, they've, they've hung some pretty decent pelts on the wall, including Duke. Uh, I, I, I like that Al Freeman is kind of taking you know, a step back as far as coming back to uh, maybe this team. I, I should say this team is going to play better team offense with Al Freeman not trying to be the star or Al Freeman not being appointed as the star. I think if you let be if you distribute his looks, his touches to Freeman, uh, Beverly, Markel Johnson, Torn Dorn, Sam Hunt, these are guys that can all all score the ball, all have certain strengths, all have um, upside. Whereas uh, if you give Al Freeman 20 shots, I don't think I don't think you're going to win the game. He just doesn't shoot a high enough percentage. He's not efficient enough. I think if he comes back to being a player within the offense, he's going to be much better off. I think NC State's going to be much better off. Look for them to win today at home against Miami. Uh, Boston College goes to Louisville today. Louisville's a 10-point favorite. That game is also at noon on uh, ACC Network or watch ESPN, which is probably where you're going to get it. BC is probably not going to win on the road. If this game was in Chestnut Hill, it would be a whole different ball game. Uh, I like Louisville to cover that 10. Uh, their front court, Spalding, Mahmoud, they're going to eat up Boston College. Uh, not a whole lot to say here. Um, you know, if Boston College comes out, hits 15, 23s, they got a chance. I don't see Popovich uh, being able to stick with Spalding. He's not going to provide much offense uh, with Mahmoud on his back. It's just not a good matchup for Boston College. Louisville is also a team that can shoot the three if they get hot. Look for Louisville to cover that 10, I think. Um, might be a game I'm staying away from, though, given how unpredictable Boston College is. Now that they're on the road, I would lean. If I had to bet the game, I would take Louisville with the points. Uh, Virginia, again, leaves uh, the friendly confines of John Paul Jones. Today, they're a 9.5-point favorite at Wake Forest. This game is at 6 o'clock on ESPNU. A 9.5-point spread in a Virginia game is probably not something I'm going to take against a team that can score like Wake Forest. Bryant Crawford has been, has been down lately, so I might look at it differently. Johnny Brown's not playing a whole lot for Wake. He's one of their most talented kids. Um, you're looking at a team that probably easily could lock down Keyshawn Woods. Um, you know, Isaiah Wilkins is going to lock up Darrell Moore. Jack Salt and, and, and Torian Thompson. If they got in a fist fight, that might be the most entertaining part of this game. That'd be something I'd like to see. Um, 
UVA, they're going to win the game. I don't know if they can cover nine and a half. Uh, this this looks like it could be a you know a 66-61 type game. But then again, Wake Forest doesn't play a whole lot of perimeter defense. You give Devin Hall, Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy. You give those guys open looks. Nigel Johnson. Um, you give those guys open looks like Wake Forest has given people all season long. And, you know Virginia might hang 75 on you, um, get crazy and hold you to 50. That's not outside the realm of possibilities either. That's a game I'm staying away from if I'm betting. Um, I guess that's about it for today. I wanted to get into a little bit more of the recruiting stuff, but I think it's at this point I was more interested in it when Zion was going to Clemson, not when he went to Duke. So I kind of lost interest there. But, uh, again, I'm a little under the weather, so eh, I'm going to hop off. I did want to quickly say don't forget, uh, you know, get on iTunes. Write, rate, review, subscribe, you know, tell your friends, tell your mom. If, if they're into the ACC, this is the place to go for the information. I'm going to try to give it to you straight. I'm going to try to provide as much information as I can, as much, you know, in-depth game reviews as I can. Again, I watch all the games, or at least most of them, um, trying to provide you guys with a really unbiased opinion out here. Again, if you want to support the show, go to the website, click on the Podbean, the Podbean feed, and go to be a patron, you know, a buck, five bucks, a thousand bucks, that'd be great. I don't expect that from anybody, but it'd be great for you guys to support the show if you appreciate it, if you want to see it uh, continue to run and get better. I do have equipment coming. Um, I do got the mixing board. I've, I'm working on the intro. I'm working on some artwork. I, I've actually hired some people uh, out of my own pocket to go ahead and, and try to get these things done for me. So that stuff's coming. I'm trying to make it a professional podcast. But it's slow and it's sure. It'll be here, I promise. Thanks for tuning in to episode four. Y'all have a great day. Thanks.